They've watched Citizen Kane a combined 200 times. Elliot's first words were, I personally thought the use of Dutch angles was derivative in the 400 blows. In Nathan's favorite historical figure is Fritz Lang. Now they're bringing that snootiness to you with Magellan's at the Movies. Testing, testing. My thing is very small in the visualizer. Yeah, that's good. You used to be way too big, and now you're now you're small. Now you're an appropriate volume level, Elliot. Well, now you're positively skyscraper length. Yeah, no, it's normal. Look, I've we did this a bit ago. We got complaints about the mixing. We fixed the mixing because we listen. We listen to our complaints. And now the mixing is better. So don't talk about the mixing. I don't know. It looks weird to me. But that's, you know, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Nathan, welcome back. Yeah, good to be back. Yeah, great to be back for another episode. Uh, So usually for the past few, well, the past seven episodes, we've opened with me talking about my thoughts on the latest Last of Us episode. I'll give those to you. The latest one was based on the Left Behind DLC. Uh, did It's fine enough as a standalone episode. I think that it was probably not the best choice to put it in to the narrative where it takes place, like within the chron- chronology of the narrative, because most people would have played the DLC after they played the main game, obviously, just to flesh out... Ellie's character and what happened with her when she got bit, but placed chronologically within the story, it just really interrupts the flow and pace of the series, and as I've said many times before, I always really dislike the episodes of TV where they take a break from the main action to flesh stuff out. It always ruins the pace of the narrative, and it definitely does so here, so yeah, the show is kind of testing my patience a little bit but uh yeah i'm uh, still holding out hope for a strong finish now that being said as we've just discovered like literally within the past few minutes you now have a show to talk about that you're watching uh presumably on a weekly basis so tell us about that yeah it's also it's a pedro pascal one uh, I'm sure if you're a human you might be aware that the mandalorian came back season 3 Elliot has sworn off the show following his distaste for both The Mandalorian Season 2 and I think more importantly, The Book of Boba Fett really did not, you did not enjoy that at all. That is correct. Uh, but uh, I'm still on it. I, I really enjoyed Andor, which I think I mentioned a couple episodes ago. So I'm watching it. Uh, the first episode of Season 3 is, uh, it's okay. The, there's an opening action scene that's fairly neat, and uh, Baby Yoda is really cute as usual. There's a cute little scene with Baby Yoda interacting with other uh, puppets that is fairly cute that he's messing with them and not killing them, not doing some like heinous thing like he did in season two. 
But yeah, otherwise, uh, it continues to suffer from the most formulaic video games type storytelling where the Mando has to go and do a doofus errand for some idiot to get some MacGuffin to do a thingy that I don't think they ever do a very good job of explaining why he cares so much about doing the things he's doing. Uh, So I don't have super high hopes for this season, but I did think the action sequence looked better, so I'm hoping the production is better than it was in season two, but we'll see. Yeah, I will not be watching that. No way, no how. Uh, I, 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 I was very, very annoyed at the end of season two of The Mandalorian when, oh my gosh, every episode was, I'll help you, but first I need you to go to my yard and kill eight rabbits that are eating my carrots. <laughs> it, yeah. was, it was so annoying. And yeah, the action yeah. scenes are just embarrassing. It's it's terrible. It, when I, in his in that stupid terrible episode of his in the book of Boba Fett, that first fight scene with him in like the slaughterhouse or something, that was so cool. That was so much better done than anything else on his show. I was like, what is this? Where has this been this whole time? And then it just went back to the usual Mandalorian slaughtering faceless goons at a clip like. He's John Wick on steroids. Oh, I, uh, just, I'm getting annoyed just thinking about it. <laughs> well, then uh, get less annoyed, and let's talk about something with some great action scenes. Not to give away some opinions, but I think everyone knows that the movie we're reviewing today, it's got some killer action set pieces. Elliot, you chose this, so you give us uh, kind of the setup you wanted to give start giving plot rundowns right yeah so yeah give a brief plot rundown of this here film this here picture this here motion picture is entitled the matrix uh it's a it's a it's a bit of a bit of a big deal very well known but it's plot and of course it's twist but i'll give it to you anyway so the matrix follows thomas anderson also known as neo who uh, is a hacker. He's a really cool guy. You know, he's a hacker and stuff. Who hooks up with a another group of hackers led by a guy named Morpheus who reveals to him that the world that he lives in is actually a computer simulation made by a bunch of sentient machines to keep humans docile. Oh, excuse me. And placid while they essentially use them as batteries. So... Uh, and a long time ago, it was prophesized that some guy with special powers that are not in any way explained um, would be resurrected as the one and would bring balance to the force. Sorry, I mean, free the uh, humans from the grip of the machines. Uh, And Morpheus believes that Neo is that one. So the movie follows Neo as he's training with Morpheus and on the run from uh, dangerous sentient computer programs called agents. Ooh, spooky. Wow, that was the least. If that was in a trailer, imagine if that was like the trailer voice for the for a a sneak peek at the movie. That was the least excited. That was very. Yeah, that was you know very how cool. people. You know how people say that some people have a a face for radio. 
I have a voice for mimes, for being a mime. <laughs> Funny. That's really hilarious, Elliot. Okay, enough of your stand-up. Yeah, Matrix, iconic film, 1999, great year, great year. A lot of great stuff came out that year, like me. <laughs> I was born that year, It's the joke. But yeah, it's a classic film. It won four Oscars here, fun little fact, for editing, sound, sound editing, and VFX. It's also currently rated 16 on IMDb, which was way higher than I thought it would be. So I think sometimes I underestimate how much of like a classic The Matrix is considered until I start reading reviews and I'm like, oh yeah, everyone thinks this is like an untouchable masterpiece. But anyway, yeah, you chose the movie. So Elliot, we'll start with you. What's sort of your experience with the film? What are your first thoughts here on the, here on the podcast? Uh, well, I'm, I watched this movie a while ago. I think for the first time, uh, I think when I was in high school or something, don't believe I watched, this is one that I watched with you. I think this is one that I watched solo and, uh, I liked it quite a bit. And so my experience, and then I sort of forgot about it and then I rewatched it and I was like, oh yeah, this is pretty good. And that's kind of been my experience with this movie ever since is that I'll, I'll watch it and I'll be like, oh yeah, this is really good. I'm really into this. And then I'll just completely forget about it. And when I do think about it, I'm like, oh yeah, the matrix, you know, whatever. And then I watch it and I'm like, oh yeah, the matrix is pretty good. Uh, and that's exactly what happened this time. I was like, oh dang, yeah, this is really cool. I'm really into this. Uh, so yeah, my initial thoughts are, this is really cool. I, I'm really into this. Um, I do have some problems. Uh, the stuff with the romance between Neo and Trinity, I think is really bad, really underdone. Uh, Carrie Ann Moss, I know that she's a good, talented actress, but she just seems really wooden in this. Uh, same with Keanu Reeves who is not a really good, talented actor, but is of somewhat limited ability. I mean, I think that Keanu Reeves is as cool and nice a guy as everyone else, but he is not a fantastic actor. Let's all be honest with ourselves. He's, he is not known for his acting ability. And yeah, so he's reliably wooden, and all of his reaction shots are fairly uh, bland. Uh, so yeah, I don't like that. But, dang, Morpheus is cool. He is a cool character. And Lawrence Fishburne is so cool as him. Oh, I, every time he was on screen, I was like, get out of here, Neo. Get out of the way. I'm trying to watch Morpheus. Yeah, it's funny that you say that you kind of forget about The Matrix and then you watch it and you're like, oh, actually, this is really dope. Because that was literally exactly my experience. I watched this once. Um, I think probably around the same time you watched it. So I would have been in high school or starting college and I enjoyed it. But then, as I kind of said, I, I think I kind of forgot about it. I forgot about like, oh, it's a classic. I didn't watch any of the sequels. I haven't seen the new one. And so it kind of went down in my estimation. But as soon as I started watching it uh, yesterday for the podcast, I was like, oh, this is actually really cool. And I, I think the cool elements of it really carry the film for me. So we can get more into that as we kind of go. But I, yeah, I definitely agree. This movie is pretty slick. <laughs> it is. There's so much latex. 
yeah, it's literally slick in that sense. <laughs> it's also slick like a cool a cool dude. A cool I person. said so I I literally like literally just finished watching this movie for the podcast 15 minutes ago. Um and I was watching it with our father because he really really mm. likes this movie. Um and he likes the the rest of the trilogy. I did go see Matrix Resurrections with him. Very bad movie. Did not like it at all. Neither did he. But Dad really likes this. And so, you know, if if anyone cares, there you go. Dad likes this movie as well. But I said to him, as we were watching it, I was like, I know this was released in 99, but this is all extremely early 2000s. Like the sort of grunge, punk rock aesthetic, especially early on in the beginning at the rave, the music, the really over dramatic camera zooms and close-ups and stuff. And I sort of wondered, is this was this movie like a product of its time, or was its time a product of this movie? Because mm. I know that the Matrix was hugely influential. So I have to wonder if maybe this movie feels really early 2000s because the early 2000s movies just kind of really feel Matrixy. Yeah. Well, and I think the thing I thought stylistically, the movie that came to my mind is this movie is filmed so similarly to Fight Club. It even has the same like puke green filter over large yeah. portions of it, for, which I think in both movies it makes sense thematically and kind of stylistically for what they're going for that fight club you're supposed to feel a little gross watching it and then the matrix right the matrix looks fake the matrix looks weird because it's not real it's a simulation but i definitely agree and so i think maybe to get started what do you think has aged well from this and what do you think has maybe aged poorly because i think some stuff like the ending when he hangs up the phone and then just this like punk rock song comes on is so corny to me now that I just, I roll my eyes. It's such a goofy ending to such a cool movie. And there's other moments where people say things and the music is just really goofy. And I'm like, I don't think that's really, so I think there's some parts of it that haven't aged well, but what do you think? Uh, I agree. I, I I mean, I was literally on my computer pulling up the invite as the credits were rolling, so I can't really uh, speak to that. I think that the action scenes it's it's sort of hard to hard to describe. I feel like they've aged well in the sense that they're really cool and really enjoyable to watch, but not in the sense that. I really see them anymore. You know, you don't really see action scenes filmed like this uh, very mm. much these days. It's very much derived from old Kung Fu movies. So I'm thinking Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, that kind of thing. Wire foo is sometimes what it's called. But uh, <laughs> obviously I think that the movie's themes of artificial intelligence and the consequences of that have aged frighteningly well uh, <laughs> these days. The effects hold up pretty well. Yeah, 
that's all good, all, all well and good. I think in terms of things that haven't aged well, I do think that the grunge aesthetic sometimes feels like a little cringy or like it's trying a little too hard. Um, a lot of moments that feel sort of over dramatic or overplayed, like um, everybody has to say, have like a one-liner before they dispatch a particularly dangerous enemy, like Trinity saying, dodge this to the agent, or even Tank in like one of the most urgent situations I can imagine with uh, Cypher poised to kill his entire team, feels the need to say, believe it or not, blah, blah, blah. Um, that kind of bombastic, try-hard, cool guy attitude I don't think has aged super well. That's the only thing that really stands out to me as having aged poorly. There are other things that kind of, that don't really work, as I've mentioned, but I feel like that's, that they don't work at any point. Uh, not that they've yeah. just sort of been aged out by the evolving norms of filmmaking or storytelling. Yeah, and I think you kind of touched on the themes, but I think even more than just technology and AI, what I sort of got from this movie is so much of a sense of derealization and disassociation that it's very much born from a sense of, like, none of this really matters, which I think is very 90s, right? They were going into uh, the 2000s. There was a lot of hysteria about the changing of the millennia and what that would kind of do to computers and something. I wasn't, I was only alive for eight months in this, so seven and a half months. So I didn't get a really good sense of the mood of the time <laughs> in those seven and a half months. But I think from my understanding, this and, again, I hate to mention it so much, but Fight Club are both born from a sense of, like, we feel trapped by society, we feel trapped by other people, and both of these movies are kind of an examination of that in an extreme sort of sense. Fight Club with the Fight Club. And this in, like, oh, none of it's real. Like, yeah, it doesn't, it feels fake because it is fake. It feels manufactured because it is manufactured. And so I think that's one of the things that has both aged very well, because I think people still resonate with that sort of idea. And I just think it's a really cool sort of look. It's never really explicit, and it's not explored a ton outside of, like, Cypher and his whole sort of thing of right rejecting the reality of reality and choosing to live wholly inside the matrix, or at least wanting to live only inside the matrix. Um, I don't think a lot of the other characters really represent that much philosophically dense, but I think that sort of idea is prevalent in the film, and I find it really interesting. That is really interesting. I hadn't really thought about it like that. Uh, I think you're right to a certain extent. Both movies definitely... And I don't really want to talk about Fight Club too much because I don't particularly care for that movie. But both movies definitely have a certain streak of cynicism, if not nihilism, mm -hmm. to them. Uh, both of them are sort of possessed of an anxiety about not necessarily what's... Well, in the case of Fight Club, not necessarily what's real, but what's authentic, what's legitimate. 
Yeah. And the Matrix uh, more concept is more conceptual in that it's about what's real uh, than what's authentic. But on that topic, you know, you and I are men of philosophy, at least uh, you probably more than me, but we've uh, we've done our fair share of reading and thinking and that kind of thing. We're both familiar with Plato's allegory of the cave, which people usually bring up uh, as a talking point in terms of this movie. I myself, I see it. I think it's sort of a, I don't know, skin deep kind of shallow retelling of that fable. You definitely have all the elements of a fake world, uh, getting out of the fake world to the real world, a period of adjustment, wanting to go back, not being able to go back, people in the fake world, you know, not really liking the idea of an outside world, that kind of thing. But it doesn't really, I don't feel like it really engages with that premise on a level that's super deep or super complex. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I honestly don't even consider it to really grasp the sort of fundamental nature of the allegory, which I'm not going to explain here. If you really want to, it's a short-ish sort of thing. It's fairly it's easy to short. find. Yeah, people explaining it, and I don't want to butcher it here because uh, I'm not a philosophy teacher. But I definitely agree. As, going into this movie, I was thinking that, and I was trying to recall how The Matrix went before I watched it, and I was like, does it fall? It doesn't really follow the allegory of the cave that closely, because I'm pretty sure in the allegory, the guy comes back and gets murdered by the people, because they'd rather right, have the fake thing, which is does not really happen in the movie. I think this movie borrows much more from, like you kind of jokingly mentioned, but it borrows much more from like the Star Wars ethos of right the prophesized one. Here comes the person to fix everything. It's borrowing a lot more from that sort of classic mythological sort of storytelling than it is borrowing from the Plato's allegory of the cave, I think. Well, that's the thing. You know, that's what I mean when I say that the movie doesn't really engage with the, uh, the, the meat of what Plato is talking about there because – it does have kind of moments of talking about what constitutes reality if it's if reality exists independently of our perception of it. That's kind of what Morpheus is talking about when he's asking if reality is just electric signals in the brain. But it doesn't really go anywhere with it. Uh, it just sort of winks at that and acknowledges it without kind of really digging deep into what the consequences of either position really uh, really is. You know, there was potential for that with the character of Cypher, but they just sort of, they just sort of usher him out of the movie fairly quickly without any real engagement with if there's any legitimacy to accepting reality based on how it's presented to you rather than, you know, what it actually is, if that's more legitimate, less legitimate, that kind of thing. You know, I just feel like The Matrix has a reputation of being super deep and complex. Um, I don't I don't personally agree with that. You know, it's possible, it's probable even that I'm just missing something. Like I said, I'm not, you know, I'm not a huge philosophy person, so 
I'm more than willing to believe that I'm just missing something. But as it stands right now, I don't per- I don't personally find this movie to be like uh, you know Blade Runner 2049 levels of like oh man that's really interesting. I I'm, I really want to get deeper into that and think about what that means and uh, engage with the 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 thematic premise that it's laying down. Yeah, I guess the last thing I'll say here on this sort of subject before we lose all of our listeners by starting a discussion of one of the most iconic action movies of all time with 10 minutes of Play-Doh <laughs> is, uh, is actually a joke that uh, Carrie Ann Moss and the guy who plays Cypher are in another movie about what does it mean to perceive reality and is it just what we do, which is also a movie that we've done on the podcast. Yeah, check it out. Yeah, so go back and listen to the Memento episode, which is what we're referencing there, um, if you haven't. But anyway, let's talk about what I think attracts both of us to this movie, uh, the action scenes and the kind of training stuff and the stuff in the Matrix that's just dope fighting because that is so cool, so incredibly cool. (laughs) I mean, that's... that's, uh... There's not really a whole lot of other ways to put it. It's just really it's just really darn cool. I think that this movie is really carried by its style. Uh, I'm not saying that there's no substance to it. I think that there definitely is. It does at, it at least provokes thoughts about the kinds of uh, themes that it's bringing up, if nothing else. But yeah, this movie is incredibly stylish. And the biggest... I think that it manifests itself in other areas, but the most prominent manifestation is in its action, which is unashamedly over the top, <laughs> grandiose, just balls to the wall insanity. Uh, and I am absolutely here for it. Yeah, I I wrote in my notes. I love I love the opening of the movie. I think the opening is really cool. Where right trinity fights off all of these cops and it's such a great way of right it introduces us to trinity and what someone who's somewhat escaped from the matrix can do inside the matrix that she's running on walls and doing all this stuff and then it also establishes agent smith who we haven't talked about yet but is probably one of the coolest villains of the last two decade two and a half decades or whatever however far we have to go back to include this movie in the span. And it establishes, right, that he's something that she's very scared of. So I think this opening is really just kind of a microcosm of everything that makes this movie cool and everything that makes this movie stylish, that it's such a great cold open and it throws you right in at the deep end that she escapes through a telephone. How'd she do that? How's she doing this Kung Fu thing? Why is she scared of these men? And then the rest of the movie, for the most part, lives up to that expectation of here's what it is. And yeah, it's as cool as it we made it seem in that first scene. I mean, yeah, the, the cool factor is <laughs> is really working in this movie. I think that Kung Fu, you know, is I've heard that it's as an actual martial art. It's not necessarily like the most practical or the most effective style of fighting, but it is the most visually pleasing to watch because it's the most dance-like, it's the most 
choreographed. It's the most, like, intricate. Because they, these fights, they really are dances. You know, you've got two partners, or all kinds of partners, really, who are making these different moves that everyone has very specific responses to. None of it feels necessary. None of it feels particularly improvised or on the fly. It all feels like this is what's supposed to be happening, which, you know, is not necessarily realistic, but it just looks so cool. It's just so dang cool. Uh, and yeah, beyond that, the Morpheus, he's a really cool character and Lawrence Fishburne does turn in a really good performance same with agent smith and hugo weaving uh they're both they're both just so cool and it's it's also part of their uh of the costume design like agent smith is your sort of typical g-man looking guy with the earpiece and the suit and tie sunglasses morpheus i don't know what to call him but i i love it his like floor-length leather trench coat and uh, rim, not rimless, but uh, I don't know what you call these, like legless glasses, sunglasses mirror with a mirror yeah. shine. This movie is obsessed with reflections, by the way. But yeah, he just looks awesome. Well, and his, so many of his, I love so many of his lines, you know, and so much of the movie is built on things that are so iconic now. That they're just right embedded in the culture, you know, red pill, blue pill, follow the white rabbit, the bullet time. Uh, I'll be honest. I get pretty giddy when Neo does the, you know, bending, dodging the bullet thing and the camera spins all the way around it. Cause that's just such a cool shot. And it's so, it speaks so much to what the future of kind of movies were going to be that they're going to be shots like this that look real. And then if you've ever seen the way they did the bullet time is that they set up like some insane number of cameras and caught the person doing it like in ultra slow motion or something. It's a huge production, but it speaks to kind of what movies would be that now we've got stuff like avatar where right. None of it was filmed in a real place, but it all looks very real. Yeah, and then the uh, what I'm saying is when you're the one, you won't have to. Oh, it's so cool. It's so cool. I feel like we're saying the word cool a lot, but I don't know any other synonyms to throw in. It's slick. It's dope. It's, I don't know if it's very suave. Totally tubular. It's totally tubular, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I honestly, I don't think I can say enough about how much I love the fight scenes and how much I love Lawrence Fishburne as Morpheus. Those are the two best parts of the movie. And really the only reason why I would come back to this movie, because what you said is true. The Trinity love story is stupid and pointless. Maybe it has a point in the later movies, but I'm not watching those, so. Yeah, neither am I. Yeah, to... This is where we get into problems because I do think that this movie is hard carried by its cool factor because there are a lot, there is a, a lot of the other elements of it are, like I said earlier, kind of shallow kind of, kind of skin deep, um, especially the characters. 
like Morpheus is really, really cool. He's cool enough that I don't really care that he doesn't really have, I mean, he's got, he's definitely one of the better characters. He's got a clear motivation um, and a sort of clear backstory and he does. Ha he has a relationships with the other characters, although he spends most of the time with Neo. Um, and you know, I do feel something when Neo, quote unquote, dies at the very end, and Morpheus just looks absolutely like floored because he. So I, I definitely, and a lot of this is down to Lawrence Fishburne's performance. I definitely bought the idea that he was so completely invested in this, and that's the only thing that was driving him. That's all fine. That's it's not fantastic, but it's it's good. It's it's competent. The other characters, not so much. Like there is nothing to any of the other crew members who are not named Trinity or Neo, uh, or I guess Cipher to a very very certain extent. Um, yeah, I found the other crew members to be, frankly, somewhat annoying at times, especially Mouser. Uh, he was just an annoying kid. The one, I can't even remember her name, but the only other woman, man, she, I don't want to be mean here, but she was, her performance was so stiff. Like, when she was about to die, and, she, or when she realized that people were dying and she runs over to APOC or whatever. The way the way she says, oh no, I can't even remember exactly what she said, but it's words to the effect of, oh no. It the, it sounded like she was doing a table read and, you know, she was just reading aloud. And I was like, dang, that's that's pretty that's pretty rough. And Neo, yeah, he just he just doesn't he just doesn't really have anything. Like he has no backstory whatsoever. I have no idea where he came from or the kinds of things that he likes or really anything about him other than that he doesn't really believe that he's the one. And that's not a whole lot to build a satisfying character arc out of. Yeah. Well, and to compare him to one of the other most famous chosen ones, uh, Luke Skywalker... He's not even funny like Luke is. I mean, he's just there and Keanu Reeves does a dumb surfer boy face to everything that happens. Wow. 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 That was amazing. Wow. Yeah, that's what he does. The whole film. <laughs> yeah, I think that was a pretty okay Keanu Reeves impression there that I pulled out. It wasn't. Um, okay. Thanks, Elliot. But yeah, I think it really speaks to both the quality of the good parts of this movie that, right, we enjoy the movie as much as we do, despite the fact that, yeah, the characters are half-baked. And yeah, they're just, it's hard to even talk about them in a negative way because there's just so little of them there to be like, yeah, this is bad. We're just like, it's not there. They're not characters. They're just weirdos. And they all look weird. Yeah, which is I think that I think that the reason it works for Morpheus and Agent Smith, who I definitely want to talk more about in a bit, is that the way they're played, they're meant to have a certain amount of mystique to them. Like you're intentionally left a bit into the in the dark 
as to the more detailed aspects of their lives and their motivations. They're supposed to be a bit more aloof, a bit more removed, because they're both these kind of legendary figures. Morpheus, Morpheus is a legendary figure to the humans. Agent Smith is, you know, legendary in that he's this really recognized uh, severe threat. And they're both, yeah, they're both supposed to have that aura of mystery Whereas the other characters, I would really, I, I don't think it works so much there because I would really like to know more about them. Uh, you know, I know nothing about Trinity and I would never be able to guess that she was in love with Neo because A, they have like three conversations with each other and B, they do not have a whole lot of chemistry. Uh, and part of that is down to the weirdly wooden performance from Carrie Ann Moss and the reliably wooden performance from Mr. Reeves. Jeez, jeez. Look, Keanu Reeves, there's a very specific part that he is made to play. The John Wicks of the world, yeah. the, you know, quiet, reserved uh, men of action. That's who Keanu Reeves really needs to be playing. Yeah, I guess before you can talk about Agent Smith, the last thing I would kind of like to talk about is I really like the cinematography in everything in The Matrix. And then every time it's in the real world, the quality goes all the way in the tubes. There's all these weird fades, which no one uses a fade. Come on now, that's aged poorly. But I love the, I love the cinematography in The Matrix. There's a lot of like sharp angles of stuff, like low angle shots looking up at a building with a character very firmly established in the foreground. Uh, one of my other favorite shots in the scene where they're trying to escape and they're in the wall and there's a shot where it's like all black except for this little tiny space of them in the wall. That shot's really cool. And then the shot of Morpheus getting uh, captured by the police where it's a God's eye shot above the bathroom. That one's really cool, too. And there's a lot of other cool shots. But everything in The Matrix, super well done, super slick, cool. Again, count how many times we say cool in this episode. It's way too many. Um, everything outside The Matrix, really weird. And also, the editing on, like, Tank turning out to be alive and then shooting Cypher is so weird. Because how you'd expect it to be done... And how any normal person would edit it is Cypher gets hit and then Tank would be revealed as still being alive and say a one-liner. Like, didn't see that coming or something stupid like that. Instead, they reveal Tank very abruptly and jarringly. And then he says a dumb one-liner and then he shoots Cypher. Which, like Elliot already said, is weird given the time-sensitive nature of what he's trying to do. So those are kind of my last two little things. Yeah, um, that's interesting. I hadn't really thought about that, but reflecting on it, I do think, I think you are right. The cinematography is much more dynamic and striking in The Matrix. I was actually thinking, as I was watching this, um, based on the costuming and the hairstyling, not the cinematography, that they would have had to have filmed all of the stuff in the Matrix and then filmed all of the stuff outside of the Matrix. Um, 
because, of course, Neo is bald, people have different looks and hairstyles and stuff, and it would just be easier to do everything that you need with one look and then do everything that you need with the other look. So, I don't know. I wonder if maybe they were going, they were probably going for different visual styles uh, in the two worlds. Maybe they, I don't know, maybe they just were sort of learning as they were going along what they wanted their movie to look like. And it just happened that they settled on something more interesting when they started filming the stuff in the matrix. I don't know, but that is, that is, I do agree. I don't think it really affected my uh, viewing experience. I was kind of okay with it, but I do think you're right. Um, but yeah, let, let's talk about agent Smith. Cause I think that he is a fantastic villain. Uh, he's, Absolutely in the, like, Hans Gruber, um, Hannibal Lecter school of villains who don't really have, they don't really have a point or anything. You don't really agree with anything they're saying. Uh, They're just really vindictive, selfish, bad people who you love to hate. And Hugo Weaving does such a good job of instilling so much malice and barely restrained murderous rage into every syllable of his dialogue that I was just hooked on every word he said. Yeah, it it is. His line readings are so, I mean, the way he says Mr. Anderson conveys so much hatred of Neo that I, I think it makes, I mean, the final fight between the two of them is probably the pinnacle of the film rightfully so because it's the climax but it's so well set up because yeah agent smith is established as just someone who hates humans so much and hugo weaving is so cool and he looks so cool once again everyone's cool in this movie i wish i could have been in this film so then i could be cool oh yeah unfortunately no no, I'm not. Stuck, I'm not in the Yeah, I'm stuck in the lame real world, <laughs> making a podcast with my brother. Yeah, jeez, what what losers we are. Okay. Anyway, enough of that. Anyway, uh, do you have any final thoughts? Or are we good to go to ratings? Um, just that there were parts of this soundtrack that I thought were really good and other parts that I thought were less good. Uh, The music in the action scenes I thought was a bit, I don't know, cheesy. It was a bit distracting. Uh, And I don't know if that's because of the kind of music that was being played or if the mix was just uh, skewed a little bit in favor of the music. uh, So it just was more prominent than it should have been. But yeah, it, it, the music in the fight scenes I did not love, which is why I, I appreciated that there was no music or there was minimal music in the fights with Neo and Agent Smith. Yeah, I agree. The music is kind of goofy. It's like rave music, which no one listens to. I think that's another element of the film that has not uh, aged well, except for people like our father who are continually trapped in the best years of their life. The 90s, before he had all these awful kids. <laughs> yeah, that must have been nice. Wow. All right. Uh, 
Ratings? Let's get into it. Ratings. Yeah, I I really enjoy this movie more than I thought I would. And even now, after talking about all the things I find negative, I still, in my head, I'm like, okay, but that last fight scene is so, so cool. I'm really struggling to not say cool. (laughs) And so it is. I think the movie is really carried by that. There's some philosophies, sort of ideas in there. I don't think they're as fully as explored as I would maybe like them. But... The style is there. The cinematography is really neat, as I kind of said. Lawrence Fishburne is amazing. Hugo Weaving is great. Um, The other people are there, and they're trying their best. So I think I'm going to give it a 7.7 out of 10, somewhere in that range. I think it's a really good movie. I think everyone should see it. Like to get the, if nothing else, just to get the references and to get what the, you know, the hype is all about. Uh, I I agree. I think that you put pretty much summed up my thoughts uh, perfectly. There, like, there are some a lot. Well, not necessarily a lot, but there are definitely things about this movie that I don't like. But those things are. Academic, you know, they're they're just a bit academic uh, in the sense that when I'm in the movie, when I'm watching it, I I just don't really care. Uh, aside from the Trinity Neo stuff, which I did remark during the movie, I was like, this is lame and undercooked. But aside from that, yeah, this movie absolutely is a really slick, entertaining, thrilling ride. Uh, and I'll give you one more. It's just really really cool. And that is absolutely <laughs> enough to paper over the cracks. The stuff that I like, I really, really like. And the stuff that I don't like, I, I'm sort of okay with. So I'm going to give it a B plus, a strong B plus. Nice. Nice. All right. Let's get to recommendations. I'm super excited to talk about my recommendation. So I'll go first. Because it's one of my favorite movies. I genuinely think if we ever review this, this movie is basically perfect in my eyes. It's uh, Christopher Nolan's classic masterpiece, Inception, which I think is very much born from a similar sort of place as The Matrix, like I was talking about earlier, a place of disassociation and wanting to put the world into terms that you could understand better. In this case of Inception, it's dreams. That what if you're just dreaming? And yeah, I love Inception. The action scenes are amazing. The hallway scene is an all-timer. And I think Inception does what The Matrix doesn't in philosophical and thematic depth. That it's really about grief and what do we kind of do with grief when we're in a place where Uh, We don't want to maybe acknowledge what we've done to cause it. So grief and guilt, it's kind of all torn up in those things. And uh, so I I find the main character's sort of arc through the film to be a very compelling one. I love Inception. I think it is the coolest movie ever. I apologize for using the word cool again. But I think it's amazing. I think it can be hard to understand. So if anyone wants to watch it, Tell me, and I will come and explain every scene in minute detail and why it's the best thing ever made, besides a few other films. (laughs) But it's up there. 
Wow. I did not know you liked Inception that much. I Dude, I love Inception. Every time I rewatch it, I just think more and more that the movie is just immaculately made. Well, I also really, really like Inception. I'm not sure if I would say that there's only a few other films better than it. It's definitely one of Christopher Nolan's best, and Christopher Nolan is one of the best working directors, so when, so it's, you know, one of the best of the best. Uh, what I'm saying is I, I heartily second Nathan's recommendation for this. My recommendation is less linked through conceptual the- thematic kind of material. My, res- my recommendation is more in the vein of like, I don't know, vibes or aesthetics, uh, if you want to call it that. If you want a science fiction movie that's not super heavy on the science fiction stuff, like obviously The Matrix has AI and flying ships, but it's not really about that uh, in the same way that Star Wars is about its world. And crucially, a sci-fi science fiction light movie that has really, really well done action scenes and is more thought provoking, definitely more thought provoking than The Matrix, is uh, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. So that's the Matt Reeves directed movie from the reboot trilogy. It is a sequel to Rise of the Planet of the Apes, which is also a very good movie. This is just a really good trilogy of movies, by the way. Um, So you can definitely watch Rise, uh, and I would recommend that you do so. I don't think that you need to watch it in order to appreciate Dawn, because the movies are fairly disconnected. But Dawn of the Planet of the Apes is a fantastic movie, and it's largely... It is like 90% of the reason why I was so confident in the Batman, because I was like, this is Matt Reeves. He produ- he made Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. I uh, This is a sure bet. Um, the cinematography is absolutely immaculate. The villain, Koba, is fantastic. He has a really great, cool dynamic. There you go. I said cool. Dynamic uh, with Caesar, who is also a really good uh protagonist (laughs) and andy caesar does a great job as him um (laughs) what doesn't you said andy caesar you mean andy circus oh andy (laughs) andy circus yes sorry andy caesar um and yeah uh, the human stuff, I think, is just, well, it's not as interesting as the stuff with the apes, but I think it is really well done. Jason Clark uh, is a, uh, a slept-on actor, in my opinion, but also Gary Oldman does a really good job uh, as a very sympathetic antagonist. I'm not sure you could even call him an antagonist, or you could call him an antagonist, but you can't really call him a villain. Um, yeah. And yeah, this movie's action scenes... They're not flashy in the way that The Matrix is, but they're so well done. Uh, There's a shot that's absolutely legendary among everyone who's seen this movie uh, where the camera is like attached to a rotating turret and it's just panning across a battlefield and you're seeing so much action on the screen and it's all, it's, it's special effects, but it's all so well done and there's no... There's no like just blank white noise on the screen. Everything is ha- that's happening is very deliberate. And the final fight between Caesar and Koba, you know, it's a it's it's a really good like slugfest. It's not uh, it's definitely not choreographed in the way the kung fu fight is. 
at the end of The Matrix, but it's a really good visceral fight, and yeah, it's a great movie. Yeah, I definitely second that. I want to say I might have recommended that for The Dark Knight, possibly. But yeah, I love Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Fantastic movie. I think it is very, just to sort of say this, I think it is very much in the same vein of what The Matrix was pointing to and what I was kind of talking about with special effects, where it was like, okay, with this, we can kind of do whatever we want. Like we can make worlds that aren't our own look as real as we want. And we can have people do things that are impossible and have it look real. And I think Donald the Planet of the Apes is kind of in that same vein with the special effects on the apes and such. All right. Well, hey, uh, I know that everyone probably thought that I had changed my mind after the last episode. But the truth is that even if I'm not saying it, life is hard and full of disappointments. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. It was funny that I realized only after editing the episode that Elliot never said it last week. And then Elliot was devastated to learn. I was disappointed. Yeah, he was disappointed. And I'm sure all the rest of you were. But uh, thanks for listening in. We're going to have another episode next week. We might briefly mention the Oscars in it, because I think the Oscars are not this Sunday, but next Sunday. So... We might mention it. I don't know. Elliot, you don't watch the Oscars, do you? Nope. Uh, I just sort of, I mean, I, I sort of, I keep myself updated on it. Like I'll maybe glance at the New York Times, which does usually does a live update. And I'll see like, oh, yeah, that's nice, that one. Oh, that's an outrage that that thing won. That kind of thing. Yeah. Well, I'm going to try to watch it or watch part of it at least. I have connection group at the same time so i have to work around that but for sure we'll bring you our thoughts on the oscars whenever after whenever they happen and uh, we'll be back next week with a normal episode on another new movie so look back then